Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. So if you are kind of new to us or maybe you've kind of kind of gathered back in because of all of the COVID things that are going on in our world, man, I just kind of want to let you know kind of what's shaking down here. And we are a church that kind of gathers together under one Lord, and we kind of have one set of instructions that we operate by, and it's called the Bible. (laughs) And so what my job is, is each week, man, I just teach from this book to teach us all about God, how to rightly relate to him, how much he loves us, and all those kind of things. And we happen to be in a book in the Bible called Philippians. And so, man, we've been talking about some things and just want to kind of bring you up to speed with a sentence. Where we've been in the past is we've been talking about working out this idea of our salvation. And if that word doesn't connect with you, you don't really know what that means, just hang on. We'll get to that in a little bit. But really, when we are working out this thing that God has done for us in Christ Jesus, we call it our sanctification, being made more and more like Jesus. And we learned last week that we're supposed to do this without complaining about anything, (laughs) right? Y'all remember that? Uh, No? Okay. All right. Well, go back and watch it online. It'll help. It'll help you today. Promise it. Uh, man, I brought with me a, a lamp, and uh, man, I stole it from the church office, so if it doesn't get back there, know that I took it. That would be for Tammy. She'd be like, where's the lamp? <laughs> I got it. Um, man, I could tell you a little bit uh, about this lamp, but one of the things I can really let you know is that this lamp isn't going to talk, right? It's not going to tell you what it's supposed to be doing, but one of the things I do know is is that this lamp has got to be plugged into a power source in order to do what it's supposed to do, right? So, man, if we're going to work out our salvation, if we're going to work on this thing called sanctification and do what we're supposed to do, and that's to shine, we first of all got to be plugged into the power source. And, of course, we know that that's Jesus, right? And so, man, that's one of the things that we've got to do. We've got to do our part and shine, but we've also got to be plugged into Christ. But yet once this lamp is plugged in, right, It's not going to boast to you about what it does. It's simply just going to have the Holy Spirit just kind of turn it on, right? And then here's what it's going to do. It's not going to tell you anything. It's just going to shine. It's not going to boast about the fact that it's shining. It's just simply going to do what it's been created to do, and that's to shine. I can tell you about how this lamp works. I can tell you what you've got to do to make a lamp work. But eventually, if I'm talking about what a lamp does and how a lamp works, you're going to want to know, well, then you got to show me what a lamp looks like and what a lamp really does. In other words, there comes a point when explanation is not enough, you need an example or an illustration. And so I think that that's kind of where we're at today in, in the text where Paul's at. Paul's moving from a lot of explanations about this thing called sanctification And now he's going to begin to move into some explanation notes, some illustrations about the explanations. You know, Thomas Brooke, he was a man who lived back in like the 1800s, I think. He said, example is the most powerful rhetoric. Said differently, the the single greatest tool of spiritual leadership is the power of an exemplary life. 
You may have seen this a little bit different when you were growing up. Did you ever hear anyone say, do what I say, not what I do? Man, that's so backwards, isn't it? Because really, most people aren't going to do what we say. They're going to do what we've done, right? So we need great examples. Just talk isn't going to help. Because explanations and information tells us our duty. D-U-T-Y. It tells us our duty. But see, we need some examples to show us that our duty is possible. Because a lot of times we hear these things in the scripture, and man, it's a lot, and it's, it's coming at us, right? It's, it's going overboard, and we're like, man, I can't do that. There's no way that I can do everything without complaining. Well, Paul says, yeah, you can, because I want to show you some folks who did it. And you can do it, too. So we're looking at the scripture Especially last one, uh, last week we talked about not grumbling about anything. And, and, and I even know some would say it's impossible to do that. So I need some hope. So Paul begins to show me that it's possible. So in our text this morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. If you want to go ahead and turn there, beginning in verse 17. Philippians 2 verse 17. We're going to look at some examples of the gospel-worthy life. Those who are working out their salvation without complaining about anything. Paul moves from instruction and imperatives to illustrations. Again, in context, we are to humbly work out our salvation in every way, in every circumstance, and do so without complaining. So Paul, you got to show me how that's done. Paul says, okay, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. So these three examples that we're going to look at, two we'll look at today, one we'll look at next week, they all have this common goal, though. They're working together for the joyous advancement of the gospel. And Paul says that these people that he's going to share with us today are the people that we should imitate. In other words, we see how they do it. We follow along. We're going to see that these are the folks that we not only imitate, but these are also people that we should set aside and honor. That's why we talked about serving. Those who you thought when you brought to mind, who are the people that you think are servants? And we ought to honor such people like that. But also, these are the kind of people that we want to send out. We want to send out people who are shining their light. So I wonder, just out of just honor, respect, of the reading of God's holy word, would you stand to your feet with me as we read from Philippians chapter 2? The words are going to be on the screen here behind me. If you would like a hard copy of God's word like I do, you'll find those in the chairs kind of scattered around, around you. If you're new here or you're, you've been here a really long time, you need a copy of God's word, you can actually take that Bible home with you. It's our gift to you. We leave those there for you to use, but also for you to take. So so know that you can do that. But here, I'm going to begin reading in verse 17 of Philippians chapter 2. The Bible says this, Paul speaking, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who would generally be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. 
But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my fellow and brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all in distress because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him. Not only on him also, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. May God bless his word. You may be seated. So, so really what we find here is something kind of unusual going on in the book of Philippians and kind of in the epistles or letters in the New Testament as a whole. What we find here is kind of a travelogue. It's like Paul saying, hey, I'm going to send some people to you. I'm hoping to come to you. And this kind of information about traveling, we usually find at the end of letters. So why in the world would Paul put this kind of a travelogue right here Instead of at the end like normal, because like I'm trying to explain, Paul is saying, hey, listen, you've had a lot of instruction, and now I need to show you some examples. And so he begins and puts this travelogue here to, to really illustrate his point of what it looks like to work out your salvation without grumbling. And one of the things that he tells us is the first thing that we want to teach you today is this. I can be like Paul, the hopeful servant. I can be like Paul, the hopeful servant. Remember Paul's heart? I mean, he's just said, if you were here with us, that he didn't want to run or, or toil in vain. Nevertheless, he has been compelled by love to continue to give his very life for these Philippians. But also he's ministering out of a lot of fear, fear in a healthy sense that he's afraid, man, if I don't give it my all, this might all crumble. Paul was this zealous, passionate man. And he tells us under this idea of being like him to be willing to sacrifice in joy. Be willing to sacrifice in joy. Now, if you've seen this here, Paul says, but even if I am being poured out. And this is strange to me because the first example Paul gives of somebody living this life out is himself. I mean, he was looking around wondering who he could use. And then he said, well, I can use me. And see, that seems really strange. It seems almost prideful if you think about it. But remember, Paul is writing under the Holy Spirit's anointing, and the Holy Spirit knows Paul really well, so Paul wouldn't be sinning by choosing himself because the Holy Spirit led him to use himself. One of the things I would say to us is that we're often reluctant to hold ourselves up as a model. Maybe because we really believe and know that we really aren't the model that we should be. But Paul here is not doing this from pride. I mean, he's doing this from deep humility. He's simply just following Jesus. And friends, we should simply just be following Jesus as well. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he said, Hey, be imitators of me just as I am also of Christ. See, if we find that difficult to say, in other words, hey, follow me as I'm following Christ. If we find that hard to say, then it could be because we're a little self-conscious. And that self-consciousness is because we're born with this idea and we continue to live with this idea that we're inadequate and we're not living as we should before God. We should be able to say this, but oftentimes we think that we can't. But Paul is saying, listen, you can, you can, you can, because I'm showing you how I did it. And here's the key. It takes sacrifice. 
It's going to take dying to yourself, a laying down of your life, because he says in verse 17, he says, hey, I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice of your faith. He's saying, hey, I'm gladly offering my life. I'm sacrificing me for you, and in doing so, I find great joy. And when you hear that word sacrifice, a lot of us don't know about that because we live in a culture where we don't really know of sacrifices, where things get their throats cut and, and blood is poured out and things are burned upon an altar. But Paul is talking about something that's bloody and it's gory. And he's talking about these offerings. And he's basically saying, if I'm going to work out my salvation without complaint, I have to get up on an altar and die to me. He says, I'm poured out as a drink offering. And you have to kind of understand that an animal, after it had been killed, to be offered before God, it would be placed upon this altar and it would be consumed by fire. But before that would happen, this offerer would, would come and he would bring a drink. And sometimes it would be wine or water or even honey. And he would pour it on top of the sacrifice that was already burning. You can imagine what happens when liquid is placed upon something that's burning it begins to vaporize, and, and then there's a steam that rises up. And typically, if you throw something on your grill, a, a little shot of something, and it flares up, and the smoke rises, you're like, mm-hmm, it's about to be dinner time, because it, it's a pleasing aroma in your nose. And that's exactly what the, the drink offering was to do, to, to accentuate the offering that was there, to show that this was well pleasing to God. And Paul says, hey, listen, I am that on top of your offering. He says, I'm laying down my life on top of your offering. I'm the, the drink offering, but you are the burnt offering. He says, even if, and, and that means since, since I'm being poured out, it means that it's happening now. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is that this is not about Paul talking about his death. We all know that Paul begins to die for Jesus Christ later. He's not referring to the fact that I'm going to die for Christ. He's saying, I'm living as though I'm dead to me, and I'm living for Christ. I'm willingly being poured out on the sacrifice of your faith. The greater sacrifice was the faith of the Philippians. He's saying, I'm being poured out on your living sacrifice, upon your burnt offering, upon your faith. Because earlier, if you think about it in context, in Philippians chapter 1, he says, hey, I know you guys are fighting people who don't believe like you believe. In verse 29, he says, hey, it's not only been granted for you to believe in Jesus Christ, but you've also been granted for you to suffer in Jesus. In verse 30 of chapter 1, he says, hey, the same conflict, the same beatings, the same persecutions you saw in me, you are now experiencing. In other words, hey, Philippians, I see what's happening to you, and I see how you're being offered upon the burnt offering of God. See, yours is the greater offering. I'm just being poured on top of what you are already offering. And see, the reason Paul does that is because that is the essence of humility. Paul has learned, he's been teaching in Philippians chapter 2, that we should have the same attitude of Christ. That though he was God, he came and made himself what? A bondservant and what? Laid his life down for us. That he humbled himself to the point of a cross. And Paul's saying, listen, just as Jesus did it for me, now I'm doing it for you. It's such humility, such humility. So when he uses himself as an example, it's not because of pride. He's basically showing us what discipleship looks like. Christ taught me and then Christ modeled it for me. And now what? 
You are going to be taught, and now you're going to model, and then you're going to be taught, and then you're going to model. You're going to be taught, and then you're going to be... This is the model of discipleship. That we talk about Jesus, but we also act like Jesus, and so people can hear it, but they can see it, and we continue to do this. But you notice this, though. Think about this and, and the idea here that Paul has never once said, hey, why am I in jail? And the food here really blows chunks. Man, talk about heat. There ain't no heat. And these rats are nasty. You never hear Paul saying, why is it so hard on me? I mean, I'm giving everything for Jesus' sake, and I just get beat. Why? Why is this happening to me? He's not saying to the Philippians, hey, listen, why are you guys free and I'm in prison? You never hear Paul complain. He just says, I'm only adding to the sacrifice that you're making, and you're making the greater one. What humility. He says, upon the sacrifice, but then also you notice there in verse 17, he says, I'm poured out upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. That word service is where we get our modern word liturgy from. It refers to a religious service, a sacred service, a priestly service. So Paul's saying, listen to me. Not only you being the priest who offer the offering, but now you're the priests who are presenting the prayers up before God. You're faithfully sacrificing and serving God. In Philippians 4, verse 18, he says, Hey, you Philippians, y'all got together and y'all sent me Epaphroditus. But when Epaphroditus came, you brought a bunch of money with you to help take care of my needs. Paul is very well aware that they are sacrificing and serving God. So in a common sense, they're all in this together. And that's why Paul says in verse 17, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Why? Why, Paul, are you so stoked? Like, why are you so joyful? Because he's saying, listen to me, I'm not joyful in spite of what being poured out. I'm joyful because I'm being poured out. Stick with me. Joy comes as a result of sacrifice. Let me say something to you this way, and maybe it'll land in your heart just a little bit. This is God being just transparent. God wrecked me with this this week. The reason so many know not the joy of Christ is because they know so little of the sacrifice for Christ. The reason many of us may not know the joy of Jesus is because we simply may not know the sacrifice of Jesus. Many Christians only rejoice when their circumstances are positive. Paul says, I rejoice because my circumstances are difficult. Because Paul realized it's his joy to serve Jesus, to lay his life down in service to others. And when you're doing that and others are doing that, there's this mutual idea of joy. So Paul says, hey, not only be willing to sacrifice in joy, but then he says, be willing to share in joy. Not just sacrifice in it, but willing to share in it. Because then he says, verse 18, hey, you guys, I urge you rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. In other words, hey, we're both going through suffering, persecution, and opposition. Let's rejoice together. Let's continue to lay our lives on the altar, and I'll just continue to pour what I've got on top of what you got. And listen, here's the deal. We know that when we do that, live sacrificially, serving other people, guess what? There's an offering, and it's rising up to God, and God is pleased. And when God is pleased, we get joy. 
joy is this theme of this book, guys. If you don't remember, it's called the joyous advance of the gospel. I don't have time, nor will I take the time. But, man, you search the book of Philippians, and it's filled with joy. So think about this, and my wife and I served, and, and, and you know, we served overseas as missionaries, and you know that, and we served in a, a very third world country. And there were many days, man, when, when things were crazy, and, and we suffered some things, but not as much as people around the world. But I'm telling you, have you ever wondered why people can just give up their lives, lose everything that they have, go suffer in a place, and, and be threatened their, their lives, lose their kids, die of these crazy, horrible diseases? Why they can do that, but they're so full of joy? You ever ever wondered that? Because see, they understand that, man, you don't get to joy without sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 7, 4, Paul says this, my confidence in you is great. My boasting in your behalf is great. I am filled with comfort. Watch this. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. <laughs> and that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, tied to the context most people complain about serving because it's hard. And that's simply the reason they have no joy. You can whine or you can shine, right? Paul says we are to serve in hardships, and as a result, we won't want to complain, but rather rejoice. So see, you'll understand the nature of what it means to be called a servant by how you react when things go wrong. When things get tough. Here's what I would say to you. Listen, if you're a guest here today, this really isn't for you. This is me speaking to our people. Listen to my heart. Listen to your shepherd's heart here just for a minute because I need to say some things sometimes to my sheep. You ready? Listen. Most people complain because they have to serve. Paul's rejoicing because he gets to. I mean, you know, we send out text messages and stuff all the time looking for people to serve, and most people are like, <laughs> Paul's like, woohoo, sign me up. I don't get to sleep. I don't get to go to the ball game. I got to cancel my tickets. Sign me up, baby, because where sacrifice comes is where my joy is at. And we've got to flip that paradigm in church. We just got to flip that. You see, I know many people, as I've read church history, who were burned alive at the stake for their faith in Jesus, but they rejoiced for being counted worthy to be burned. And when we get to the place where we totally abandon and we're willing to sacrifice, then the trials, difficulties, and dark places are not joy killers, but they're joy fillers. <laughs> Could it be that we know so little of joy because we know so little of sacrifice? I mean, I want you to think about this. You know, it's kind of like this. You know, a lot of us say, hey, you know what, man, if God asked me to lay down my life for, for the cause of Christ, I would gladly do that. I mean, martyrdom, I mean, hey, okay, I'll do that. So God, hey, this big idea, here's my life, it's yours, I lay it down for you. And we think it's just like this one big act. And if God asks me to make that really big act, I'm going to go for it. It's kind of like God gives you $1,000 and your life is like $1,000. You're like, hey, I'm going to spend that bad boy all at one time for Jesus. But this is really what I think begins to happen. And Elizabeth, I'm sorry, but I'm going off script because I'm coming down. <laughs> and I don't ask you to follow me, just listen if you're watching online. But you see, here's what I think God does. Is we think that this idea is that we've got to say, hey, here's $1,000. I'm just going to give it to you, Lord, all at one shot. But I think Jesus asked us to take the $1,000 bill and go to the bank and get it changed into quarters. 
And I think you just carry around this pocket full of quarters, which is your life. And you just say, hey, listen, I don't got a thousand dollar bill I can give to you, but I got 25 cents and I'm going to serve and sacrifice one quarter at a time. And so what it may look like is, is that, hey, I come into your life and I say, hey, man, I see that your family's going through a hard time and you've got some financial hardships. You know what? I don't really got anything but a head of lettuce, but hopefully that'll help. So I just got to give you 25 cents, man, because I'm going to lay down me for you. And then maybe we just continue to pray a little bit and we just go through the next day in life and we say, hey, man, here, here's a girl, man, and she's, she's in, trying to get to college and maybe her grades are suffering a little bit. And you know what? I, I got some expertise in that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to take some time out of my schedule and I'm going to carve out some time and I'm going to be helping tutor you to help you get somewhere in your life. I'm going to lay down me to serve you. So I just kind of give you a quarter of my life. And then I just continue to pray and I, and I go through life like that, right? And I see, hey, you know what? Man, you, you got grandkids? Dude, you, you're watching your grandkids all the time? This is awesome. But hey, we got parents' night out. How about grandparents' night out? I mean, grandparents get, get the kids all week, you know, and the, the parents are all out partying. How about let's celebrate with the grandparents? So I say, well, you know what? Bring your grandkids over to my house, and I'm going to let you guys go out and party. And that we won't tell the parents, though. But you guys do this, man. So I just lay down my life, and I give it to you in service. And then I say, hey, you know what? Here's what I know, man. I just went to the grocery store. I just did this with my kids last night. This is fresh. We kind of go to Walmart for some stuff and H-E-B to some stuff and other places. But we're at Walmart. We're buying all these groceries. But here's what it looks like, you know. You know what I'm thinking? And I say, you know what? There's this place called the Amen Food Pantry, and it's here in LaGrange. And man, they're always looking for things. And I know there's people out in the community that are hungry, and there's lots of things that are going on. So I think, you know what? I could give up one meal this week, and I could give that meal to those who are probably less fortunate than I am. As a matter of fact, I want to get personal, and I know there's some people that live around the corner from me that are struggling. So I'm going to get some food, and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to give it to them, right? Because I'm going to die to me to put them first. And so here's what I do, man. I just give a quarter of my life to them so that they can eat. And see, I think that that's what we do. That's what Paul is saying. And listen to me. Here's what you think. You tell me this. If I gave 25 cents over and over and over to let up to $1,000, who's the one at the end of the day looking like they're rejoicing and who's the one that looks like they're complaining? I promise you it ain't me. I ain't complaining. I had to give out 25 cents at a time over and over and over again. I've got joy because I've learned the secret of sacrifice. Sacrifice leads to joy, and it's often not going to come at one big thing. It's going to come in the daily little things over and over and over again. So listen, that's what I can do. I can live like Paul, this hopeful servant who sacrifices and who shares in this joy. And I think that's what God is calling us to Faithful Christians serving might mean martyrdom for some, but, but some, and we should rightly honor those who give their lives. But for many others like Paul, it involves pouring my life out little by little. It involves giving out quarters every day. It could mean having somebody that you know that's struggling over for dinner. It could be changing the oil in a single mom's car. It could be giving up your second ride to somebody who doesn't have one. It could be inviting an international student over to help them get used to culture. It could be doing this. Listen, it could be saying, hey, I'm going to get involved in foster care. I'm going to pray with a friend. I'm going to help somebody move. I'm going to visit somebody in the hospital pre-COVID days. I don't know, but maybe the application simply is this. If I could just take it from that and kind of put it down here in the church world for a minute because we live in kind of both worlds. It, it may mean you saying, hey, Sarah, our children's minister, hey, Sarah, where do you have a need in the children's ministry? Because listen, 
and I need to serve. Hey, Seth, I mean, you know what? I mean, I'm a parent, and I got some students in the ministry, and rather than just being a, a, like a leech, man, how can I serve back? I mean, how can I help you, Seth? What do you need in your student ministry? How can I get involved? It could be saying to, to Pastor Justin, hey, do you need more leaders? I mean, it could be in your growth group saying, hey, what can we do to feed people? I, want, I can't teach, but, man, I can help cook. It could be saying, you know what, I mean, I'm going to get involved in the city outreaches. I'm going to be there when the, the, when the, the pantry's open in the Amen Center. And you know what, you know what, Samaritan's Purse, they're rebuilding all those homes. And I'm going to give up my time and I'm going to go out to Samaritan's Purse and help them build those homes because I'm giving my, I don't know what it means for you. But I can tell you this, man, the school is always looking for help. The schools are always looking for people just to give up their lives and to go help. It's going to take sacrifice to serve and to know joy. And I'm going to skip over those two back there in the back, and I'm going to point number two. But I can be like Timothy, the humble servant. Not only can I be like Paul, this hopeful servant, but I can be like Timothy, the humble servant. See, Paul desired to be with the Philippians. He had all this love and affection, but he cared about their spiritual progress. And so Paul is in prison writing this letter, and he's like, hey, I'd love to come, but I can't. <laughs> Kind of busy, kind of tied up. And uh, remember, he's got to send somebody else, so he sends Timothy. And from this, he tells us about Timothy. What's something I can learn from Timothy? Was first of all, I can focus on being deep in character. I can focus on being deep in character because in verse 9, it starts out, Paul says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you. Here's Paul saying, hey, listen, I'm not in charge. I'm a servant as well, and I'm a servant doing my master's bidding. And it's the Lord that I serve, and it's the Lord that we serve. So if it's the Lord's will, I serve Christ, and I'll let Timothy go. Timothy, he's this native of Derby or Lystra. He had, a, he had a, a Jewish mother named Eunice and a Jewish grandmother named Lois. His father was a Greek. So Timothy was this unique person to be able to understand two cultures. He understood Judaistic culture, and he understood Hellenistic Greek culture. He had been educated in Greek culture, but he had been taught the scriptures from his childhood by his, by his Jewish mother and grandmother. So, so, listen, Timothy is positioned to go to Philippi. We don't know when he was converted to Christ, but Paul sees him over in Acts chapter 16 and says, Hey, there's a guy I want to serve with me. And so he begins to travel everywhere with Paul, and they go to this place called Philippi, and they start this church, and Timothy's there when they start the church. So the Philippians here know exactly who Timothy is. This probably was their second favorite, Paul being the first, and Paul says, hey, I'm going to send him to you when I find out how things are going for me. What's Paul talking about when he says what's going on for me? Well, you got to remember Paul's on house arrest, and he's able to share the gospel. And we read through the book of Acts that members of Caesar's household are coming to faith in Christ. So there's a lot of work for Paul to do. He's like, hey, I could be talking about, I've got a lot of follow-up to do here. I've got a lot of disciples I've got to continue to teach and make. And maybe that's what he's talking about. It could be he's wondering about his trial. He knows he's going to go before and be tried. He don't know if he's going to lose his life or not. That could be what he's talking about. Nevertheless, he's sending Timothy to help them. Here's what you need to know about Timothy, verse 20. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be generally concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ. Timothy's lived this sacrificial life for the gospel, and he's got great character. He's like-minded. In other words, he's one-souled. Paul is saying, Timothy thinks like I think. He acts like I act. He reacts like I react. 
He's learned to think like me, perceive like me, and evaluate like me. And I have no one else like him. His character is so deep, when it comes down to it, he's just like me. See, here it is again, the reproduction of Paul. This is, again, what discipleship is all about. It's about reproducing disciples. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, he said, A student is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Paul's saying, hey, listen, Timothy has been fully trained, and he's just like me, and we're both just like Christ. So Timothy's this servant with deep character, and he's had it modeled for him by Paul. I want to challenge you, man, find a Paul in your life that you can see how they shine. And then be, be a Paul to somebody else, man. Find a Timothy. But verse 20, Timothy is genuinely concerned for their welfare. It means he had full compassion for the church. This is not Timothy serving out of duty. It's he's serving out of just delight. Concern means he has this, he's burdened in a serious way. Timothy has deep character, and that character leads him to be concerned. And out of that concern, he goes to serve. So listen, here's what it really comes down to. Here's what it really comes down to. I won't serve when I don't care. But when I care, I will find a way to serve. And Timothy's got the character that serves. I can be deep in character, but then also I can focus on being dogged in my commitment. Dogged in my commitment. What's this verse 21? Paul says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. Paul says, hey, listen, I've got all these people that I've led to Christ and they're all kind of running around with me up here in Caesar's household. And you'd think because Paul is actually there because he's sacrificially laying down his life and he's modeled this for so many people, you'd think all those people would get it. But Paul says, hey, listen, out of all these people, I have no one, no one like Timothy. Everybody's looking out for their own interests except for Timothy. You'd think they would have kind of seen all this, but they're double-minded. They're distracted by the world, the flesh, and all these things, and, and there's none like Timothy. And here's Paul. Paul says earlier, he says, hey, look, Demas forsook me because he started loving the things of the world. Paul says, hey, everybody left me in Asia. They all deserted me, and now he's here with Timothy, and he's saying, listen, there's nobody I got but Timothy. And I want you to know, listen to me, that's the life of anyone who tries to minister. If you're a growth group leader and nobody really gets it, it's okay, it's okay, Paul, he's got you. If you're leading a ministry of any kind in the church, out of the church, and you feel like nobody's really getting it, just know this is part of it. Because many people will serve Christ, but they do it with what? Limited commitment. They have a divided interest and divided focus, but verse 22, the boss says, hey, you know of Timothy's proven worth. Not only is he just this committed guy, but he's also just available. Timothy was this man of integrity. Hey, you know him. And he's been approved by you. He's worthy. In other words, he's been tested and he's not found wanting. Timothy is committed and he cares and he's going to serve you. He's going to have a single focus to get after it. He's dogged in his commitment. So let me ask you this question. Where's your commitment at? I mean, when it comes to serving Christ and serving this community, where's your commitment at? I don't know. I just need you to know, man, that, that it's what it's going to take, right? If we're going to reach people and we're going to love people, I've got to go deep in character, but then I've got to get dogged in my commitment. And lastly, I can focus on being a dear companion. You can focus on being a dear companion. Verse 22, he says, hey, 
Timothy, he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. That's so good. Paul says he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. That word serve there literally means to slave together. (laughs) Notice Paul didn't say, hey, he served me or he served under me, but he served with me. Paul's not the master in Timothy to slave their equals before God. And from Paul's viewpoint, they're equals. But from Timothy's, it's like, hey, you're my spiritual father and I'm serving you. The point is this, willing submission to serve is based on love and simply a deep desire to be in companionship with somebody else. Like a son wanting to spend time with his father. This this word here is not the generic word. It doesn't mean just kind of boy. It means child. In other words, Paul's saying, hey, Timothy's like a little boy, and he thinks I'm like his father, and he just wants to spend time with his daddy. And that's what happens when we begin to serve one another. We just love the fellowship that comes when we get in the trenches together. Think about it. Timothy had his own goals. Timothy had all kinds of, probably all kinds of other plans, but he was called of God. He was anointed by God and he was sent out to serve and he's given up everything. And so verse 23, Paul says, therefore, I hope to send him to you immediately. In other words, hey, when I don't need him anymore, I'll send him to you. And then when I need him, he's going to come back. That's a servant. That's a servant. Paul says again in verse 24, and I trust in the Lord that I will be coming to you shortly. And there's Paul again saying, hey, listen, I still want to come and lay down my life, and it's according to the Lord because I'm still a servant. I want to tell you something today. Listen to me very carefully. Timothy is a model, but yet he's also a serious sinner. Timothy had his victories, his defeats, his highs, and his lows, but as Paul's companion, Paul knows him very well. So Paul writes these books to this young man named Timothy. You find them in your Bible. They're called 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And it's interesting to me that 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul writes. But in 1 Timothy, Paul says, hey, Timothy, be useful and set an example. In 2 Timothy, he says, hey, Timothy, stay away from wickedness because I know you're going to get tired in it. It's interesting to me. He tells him to flee things in 2 Timothy. He tells him to set an example in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.12, very famous verse. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, Timothy, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. And Timothy, while you're out there shining your light, buddy, just remember that, I mean, you're going to continue to shine, but you're going to get tired and you're going to get tempted. Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.1, here's the secret. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because, Timothy, you're not going to get it right all the time. And, Timothy, you're going to fail. Timothy, you just keep going back to the grace that's found in Jesus. So today, listen to me. I might have hit you a little hard, but listen to me. If you're finding maybe some conviction or something over the fact that you're not serving, can I tell you that's what I tell you? Run back to God's grace. And the moment you turn and say, hey, Lord, I want to serve, and you open up your heart again, God says, hey, I get it. I love you. It's all forgiven. Let's just get on with it. Our God never will hold you in contempt, and it's grace. So the secret is being close to Jesus. I wonder if my team would begin to make their way up here as we begin to land this plane. Remember one preacher said, hey, it's time to land the plane. And he tried closing this sermon like four times, and somebody said, hey, I thought you were going to land the plane. (laughs) 
It's like, well, the airport was a little jammed up. We had to circle around a few times. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm just here to tell you I'm going to land the plane. <laughs> I remember reading this story, man, about this lion who was this really proud lion, you know, the, the king of the jungle. And one day he decided to make sure that all the other animals knew who, would, who the boss was, who the king was. <laughs> So he was so sure of himself, and he passed by all the little animals, and so he went straight after the, one of the big boys. He, he went to a big old bear, and he said, hey, hey, bro, who's the king of the jungle, man? The bear's like, you are, you are, you are. Yeah, that's right, high five. Cool. Lion went and found the tiger. Yo, bro, who's the king of the jungle, man? Tiger's like, you are, man, you the king, right? Yeah, it's awesome. That's right, dude, nucks. Next on the lion's list is he walked up to the elephant. Who's the king of the jungle, big guy? The elephant grabbed him up by his trunk, <laughs> spun him around a few times, threw him down on the ground, picked him up, dunked him in some water, then threw him up against the tree. <laughs> lion gets up, kind of shaking his mane, dazed and confused, goes up to the lion and says, hey, look, big guy, just because you don't know the answer to the question doesn't mean you have to get upset. Listen, there's only one king, and his name is Jesus. And we've got to be careful that if we get this thing right, that we don't give ourselves over to pride. And we just want other people to think, hey, look at me. Who's doing this right? Because the theme of Philippians is also humility. We serve in humility. And we get to serve this great king. And so Timothy and Paul, he's not saying look at us because we're serving so faithfully. We're saying, hey, man, listen, we're only doing what we're supposed to do. We just kind of learned from Jesus what it would take. And so all we're doing, man, is we're just shining, bro. We're not whining. We're just shining. We just continue to give ourselves out in the light of who we are in Christ, and we just continue to shine. We're not drawing attention. providing the way so that others can see. I want you to know that you can be a hopeful servant like Paul. You can sacrifice and share in joy. You can be a humble servant like Timothy and focus on character and commitment by being a great companion. I almost did this today, but, but I didn't have time. Well, I didn't make time. <laughs> I was once around a church in New Mexico, and I noticed that they only had one door to get into the church, kind of like we do. <laughs> it's a great way so y'all don't get to get out. I mean, you have to kind of, we notice, you know, it's, it's pressure. <laughs> I'm teasing you. We, this is a temporary building. <laughs> but they had over the, the one door to get into the church. It said this right above it. It was handwritten over the thing coming into the door. It said, servant's entrance. I'm like, wow, that's it, man. Servant's entrance. I was kind of wondering this moment, man, when you walk through those doors, was that your attitude? Did you come to be served? Or did you come to find out ways that you can serve? So if you just take all this information and you go out and do nothing with it, man, we've missed the whole point, right? So what about you? I mean, can you honestly say that, man, you, you understand what it is to serve? And better yet, man... Would you be guilty of being called a servant of Jesus? 
somebody look at your lamp and say, hey, man, there's somebody that's shining, and I want to follow that. We all need to serve people, right? So here's what I'm going to do, man. I'm just going to pray, and, and these guys are going to begin to sing. And, and so we do this thing where we pray, and then, like, we talked about Paul says, hey, this is an altar right here. It's symbolically an altar. That chair that you're sitting in can be an altar, too. You don't have to really come up here, but there are going to be some people up here to pray with you and maybe to talk with you. My, my associate pastor, Justin, here, some deacons, and probably some of their wives will be with them. Maybe you want to talk about this idea. Maybe you just got something going on in your life, and we can serve you by praying for you and maybe finding out ways that we can help. I mean, please come and do that. We'd love to, to do that. But I felt deeply impressed. The Lord woke me up this morning and put this in my heart, and so I've got to share it. You're all going to serve somebody. You can serve yourself. You can serve a different cause, but we all serve somebody. And here's what the Scripture just really tells us. And the Bible tells us that we're all really slaves to sin. that may be hard news, but I mean, you think about it. You try to do the things that you want to do and you can't. Try to change yourself and you really can't. It's only temporary stuff and what we really need to do is, is we're, we're, we're slaves to sin and so we were handcuffed to sin. We need somebody to do what we sang about, somebody to rescue us. And that's exactly what Jesus did. You see, Jesus came and he became like us. And he took on our sin and he went to a cross and he paid for our sin. And he was buried. But when he got up from the tomb, guess what he did for us? He broke us free from being slaves to sin. See, now we're slaves to Christ. See, it's just always going to be a matter of who you serve. But if you serve sin, it results in death. But if you serve Jesus, it results in life. It's suffering or it's joy that you get to choose. So I wonder today, man, if maybe somebody's idea of just learning to serve is that you're saying, I just got to figure out who I'm serving. The big capital H who, and that would be Jesus. You'll be set free from your sin today. You can do that. You just come up here and talk to us. We can help you with that. So I'm going to pray, and then you're going to stand to your feet, and then we're going to sing and we're going to just let God do what God does. Does that sound good, Nathan? So let's pray. Father, would you move in this place? And would you wrap your love and your grace around all those who may be hurting today, who may be hurt from you and, and speaking to their hearts today? This love that you have for them, that no matter where they're at, you're passionately in love with them.